This is the Alone With Our Principles podcast, episode 24, Be a Coffee Bean. I'm Eric. And I'm Chris, and we're both elementary school principals in the Hesperia Unified School District in Southern California. Our guest on this episode is Damon West, the nationally known keynote speaker and best-selling author with best-selling author and motivational speaker John Gordon of The Coffee Bean, A Simple Lesson to Create Positive Change. His first book and autobiography, The Change Agent, How a Former College Quarterback Sentenced to Life in Prison Transformed His World, was published just three years after his release from a Texas maximum security prison. Over the past few years, he has been sharing the coffee bean lesson with dozens of college football teams, such as Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and Texas, and countless schools and businesses. His hashtag be a coffee bean message has inspired thousands from Walmart to the U.S. Army to the NBA. Damon's latest book, The Coffee Bean for Kids, also co-authored by John Gordon, is the genesis for coffee bean clubs being started by students at schools all over America. Alone with Our Principles is unofficially sponsored by Panda Express and Disneyland. It's just a walk in the park. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get some horns. You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. So far this semester, he has been absent nine I'm the principal, man. All right. Well, good morning. With us, as always, is our fact checker, Miss Carrie. Good morning, Carrie. How are you? Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, Carrie. Thank you for joining us. Damon, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share this as well. And if you want to get number early on the West Coast and do this with me, in the central part of the country. Thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. We're just glad we're able to join up with you. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, maybe indulge us and t- tell our audience a little bit about you, your background, your history, especially for those that maybe um, don't know who you are just yet. Yeah, me, you know, I, I came from a, a great family in a little town in Texas called Port Arthur, Texas. Had everything really for me in life. Uh, had uh, my parents, for example, been married for 53 years. So I didn't come from a broken home. I got an older brother, younger brother. I was a little kid, typical little kid, I might add. Um, got into substance abuse at a young age, but I was a really good athlete. Um, yeah, was able to parlay that into a football scholarship, playing Division One college football, playing quarterback at the University of North Texas until I got injured a couple of years into college. Graduated college, moved off to Washington, D.C., got a job working in the United States Congress. After that, I worked for government for President of the United States in 2004, raising money for him all over the country. And then after that, I got a job working for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland, in, in the Dallas branch. And it was at that job in 2004 as a stockbroker that I had a fateful day where another broker introduced me to methamphetamine. And after that, uh, you know, the wheels came off, Eric. I mean, I, I became a slave to the drug and became homeless and started committing crimes to fund my addiction. Uh, and eventually, the crimes became so great, I started breaking into people's homes. It started out with breaking into cars, storage units, that kind of thing. And it was just home burglaries. And burglaries are a big deal. It's a very serious crime because you go into someone's home and you violate their, their sanctity of their, of their environment. And, um, you know, I stole their sense of security. But after three years of committing property crimes, the Dallas SWAT team took me down on July 30th, 2008. And that became an odyssey uh, of my life in which I finally had to face being Damon West and facing life on life's terms. And I had a special tool, though. I found out about being a coffee bean when I was inside of Dallas County Jail. Outstanding. So you found out about being a coffee bean. And you've written a couple books, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? 
I have. I have. Uh, the first book I wrote was called The Change Agent. That came out in March of 19. And after that, it was The Coffee Bean, which came out in the same year, July of 2019. And then the last book I've written was The Coffee Room for Kids, which came out in uh, December of 2020 during the pandemic. And, and, and I think The Coffee Bean for Kids is pretty special for y'all out there in California. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you and Chris have a relationship with uh, coming out and visiting a school that he was principal of recently. But I also, uh, Coffee Bean was a book that was shared with my staff at the beginning of last year. I believe you partnered with somebody that we both, uh, Chris and I, highly admire, Mr. John Gordon. How did you end up getting connected with him and getting started on the Coffee Bean? And, and the story about how I met John Gordon is, is simply amazing. You know, so we're going to fast forward to the story that I just told you because, you know, that jury in Dallas County in 2009 ended up sentencing me to life in prison. I went to prison, and obviously I didn't serve the entire life sentence because I'm with you on this podcast today. I did seven years and three months in the maximum security penitentiary in Texas, and that's where I transformed my life using the message of the coffee bean, and I became the coffee bean. And since I got out in 2015, I, I was trying to be that coffee bean out here in the, in the free world, in the real world. And I had this story that I wanted to share with audiences. I was particularly with football teams, but I didn't have any access to college football coaches. I played college football, of course, back in the 90s in North Texas. And, and, you know, that to me seemed like a target audience to start out sharing my presentation. So there was a time that came up in January of 2017. I was at my desk at work. I've been out of prison about 14 months, and I got a call from a friend of mine that works in in the Houston media. He said, hey, Damon, I've got an extra press pass for the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year award tonight. He said, the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year is going to give out the award for the best college football coach in America. He said, the eight best coaches will be in the room tonight. Do you want to go? Yeah, do yeah. I want to go? Heck yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I drove the 90 miles. I'm, I'm, I'm going on. I'm 90 miles from Houston. I drove the 90 miles to Houston. He sneaks through the Toyota Center, hit the ground running. And, I mean, y'all live. And I, the best coaches in America were in that room. He wasn't lying. USC, Wisconsin, Penn State, P.J. Fleck, they're all there. And I get to meet him and press the flesh with him and give him an elevator pitch of uh, my story. And every coach I meet that night slams the door in my face. No, no, no. Don't call us. We'll call you. That's about as good as it got. It took me no time to get seven no's out of the eight coaches there. I mean, within an hour, I've got seven no's. I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center, and I'm looking at my wounds, and I'm thinking to myself, hey, David, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe you're not cut out for this. and Go home. That last coach is going to tell you no, too. But y'all, then that voice kicked in inside my head, that competitor that said, hey, you want to be a a motivational speaker. What kind of motivational speaker is Chris, right? He must have listened to that guy. And you survived prison. You survived way worse than this. You're not going anywhere until that last coach tells you no to your face, then you go home. So, y'all, I stalked Dabo Sweeney throughout that room that night. And then it took forever to get to Dabo because they had just won the national championship two nights before against Alabama. But I finally pounced on Dabo. I got him up against the wall. I'm giving him the best minute I can give him. And after that minute presentation's over, he says, hey, you got a card on you or something. So I stick my card in his face. He grabs it, and he takes off going, and he says, thanks, we'll be in touch. And, you know, guys, that that was a no. It felt like a no. It looked like a no. You know, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's a duck. (laughs) Eight no's, but I felt good. Because I left it all in the field. It's kind of like it's principles. You always tell kids to give you your best effort. You know, that's what we, right. we always get. We always learn from a young age from coaches and teachers and principals and administrators to try our best, do everything we can do. And after that, you know, there's nothing more you can do. So that messaging from being a child played that night. And you know what? I went home and slept like a baby. Four months later, I'm at work again. I've been all from work in Beaumont. 
Kind of like an email from a guy named Mike Dooley. Mike Dooley is the director of football operations at the University of Clemson. He said, hey, Damon, Coach Sweeney met you the board show in Houston. would love to have you come talk to the team. Do you have August 1st open? Yeah, I got August 1st open. I, I do now, open. yeah. <laughs> so August 1st, 2017, I go talk to the Clemson Tigers, defending national champions of college football. And when I get done with my presentation to those guys in that room, that Dabo's got me up against the wall in the team meeting room. It's a done with the most amazing story I've ever heard. He said, I've never seen my players respond like that to a speaker in their story. He said, we had to shut Q&A down. We never had to shut Q&A down. He said, have you been to Alabama yet? And I look at him, I'm like, no, Dabo, I've been to Clemson, dude. I haven't been anywhere, man. I've been to Clemson. I haven't stalked Nick Saban out like I stalked you out. He said, man, we'll see about that. He said, I just texted Nick Saban from the back of the room to tell him what I was watching. And when I landed in Houston the next morning, I had a voicemail and a text message from the director of football operations at the University of Alabama and said, hey, we'll see you in Tuscaloosa in three weeks. You are on. And I mean, just like that, y'all. Dabo Sweeney has kicked open the door to college football. I've got Chip Kelly, Kelly calling me. I've got Lincoln Riley. I've got all the best coaches in America calling me up and telling me Dabo said i got to bring you in. One year later, August of 2018, I'm at my desk at work again at the law firm, and I get a phone call on my cell phone this time, and it's a guy named John Gordon. Now, John Gordon, man, I know who John Gordon is. Y'all know who John Gordon is. Oh, yeah. I watch John Gordon. He's a huge motivational speaker. Now, this is the energy bus guy on my phone, and it sounds like the energy bus guy, right? But I got to know, so I ask him, I'm like, John, if you're really John, how, how do you know who I am, man? How do you, how do you know being West? He said, Dabo Sweeney. He said, man, I was just in Dabo. I just got done talking to the Clemson football team. I was, in I was in Dabo's office after the presentation, and all I could do was talk about you. And that coffee bean message, she said, Damon, they got shirts at Clemson, says be a coffee bean. The team motto this year is be a coffee bean. He said, Damon, let's write a book. We'll call it the coffee bean. He said, the world needs the coffee bean message. Right? He said this in 2018. He said, the world needs the coffee bean message right now. Let's bring this message to the world, not just the United States, the world. And so we did. We wrote the book, The Coffee Bean. We began a friendship. And, and for him, on his side, it's a mentorship of me. He's been a mentor and a close personal friend ever since that phone call in August 2018. But, you know, I tell that story to, to athletes and to sales, sales groups all the time, to, to anybody in general, to let them know, to accentuate the point that, you know, you can't quit. You've got to always take that last rep in practice. You've got to make that last call at work. You've got to knock on that last door. Whatever your job is, you've got to give it your best effort because if you quit, you never know when you're going to miss your dabble swinging moment in life, your moment in life that changes the trajectory of your life and, and not just my life, you know, because it's a big world out there. It changed the lives of a lot of other people because now the world has to call for you. But if I would have gone home tonight, y'all, in Houston, Texas in January 2017, there's no doubt we wouldn't be on this call right now. Yeah, for sure. And so that was only 2018, you said. That's only a couple of years ago. So so what's life been like since then? I know you're doing some writing and traveling and touring and all those kinds of things. Yeah, you know, and so I've been out of prison for five and a half years. Um, of course, that happened. You know, 2018, we write the book. 19, it comes out. And, you know, in 2018, I started dating this woman named Kendall Romero. And, and today, we're married. And uh, we got married, let me get this, y'all. We got married on May 18th, May 18th, 2009. Ten years before the day I got married was the day I was sentenced to life in prison by a jury in Dallas. Ten years to the day. And this is a God thing, man. I mean, the doors that have opened for me and the things that have happened in my life, but that's one of the most significant things that's ever happened in my life on the same day, you know? 
one day it's it's like the best and worst day of your life all in the same day. You know, you get sentenced to life from prison. Ten years later, you meet your soulmate, and I mean, you marry your soulmate, and you become a husband and a stepfather to her nine-year-old daughter Clara. You know, outside of that too, I, I went back to school. Being a, with principals, we all, all love this. I went back to school and got my master's. And well, you know, she encouraged me to go back and get a master's. I've been talking about it. She so I got the encouragement from my wife. I go back to school and get my master's, and now I'm a professor at the University of Houston downtown, and I teach a class, I get this, y'all, I teach a class called Prisons in America. Wow. And I'm like, it's like, what does it happen? I was in a prison in America five years ago, serving life. I'm going to parole for the rest of my life, but today I'm a professor of prisons, and students all over the, uh, the Houston area take my class to learn about prisons in America from a guy that's been there before. That's fantastic. So, yeah, a lot of amazing things have gone on, but, uh, you know, above everything else, I'm in Baton Rouge this morning, and, um, well, I, I, my, my wife and I started a foundation called the Be A Coffee Bean Foundation. We sink, we swim, we rise, we fall, we meet our fate together. All right, Damon. So this is a portion of our podcast we like to call the quiz. So just to have a little fun and help our, uh, our listeners get to know our guests a little bit better. So we've got three questions we like to ask you that are kind of fun and lighthearted. The first one is, can you tell us a funny or memorable story from when you were a student in school? In my book, The Change Agent, if you get my book, The Change Agent, you'll see the story. A funny or memorable story. This will give you a little insight to the personality of, of me. When I was in third grade in Ms. Reynolds' class, I was pretty hyper, pretty active. In fact, today, I, I think I put it in the board by lunch today, it would have had me diagnosed with an ADHD. But in 1984 or 85, whenever this was, I mean, no one really talked about ADHD. So Ms. Woodall had such a tough time of keeping me in my seat. And, and I'm in the Gifted and Talented program. I'm in this program called Summit, where the Gifted and Talented students, and, and I was not, you know, I was a very intelligent kid, but I was also a very rambunctious kid, a, a very active kid. I, I, I got in trouble quite a bit. I mean, I, but, uh, but Ms. Woodall, you know, she could not get me to stay in my seat in class in third grade. So eventually the method she figured out to do that was to lock me in my seat. You know, the back of the back of the head was a little desk that you slide in on one side, they had a bar on the other side of it. Yep. Well, she put a second bar on the other side of a little rope that she tied and, and it was like a chain. I was I was locked into my desk. I could not get out of my desk. I mean, I think today they were looking at this like OSHA standards probably wouldn't be up to it. Today. No, we, no. We, we'd have some questions as principals if you walked into a classroom <laughs> and saw that. Miss <laughs> Wall, man. Miss Wall chained me into my desk in third grade. And I became a better student because of it. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, couldn't do that today, no, but uh, that would be uh, a great story. Um, how about um, what is the best job you've had outside of what you're currently doing as an author and a speaker? One of the best jobs that I've ever had was, was working at, at that law firm. Um, and, and I'll tell you, because I got the job at that law firm when I got out of prison, and it's the Pro Bill Law Firm in Beaumont, Texas. And I got the job because of a, a writ that I wrote in prison trying to get myself out of prison. I mean, because I mean, it's, it's kind of like an axiom, right? Everybody that's inside wants to get out. And my only way ticket I thought out was to turn my case over in the courts, in the Court of Criminal Appeals. So I put this writ, this appeal together. And it didn't get me out of prison, but it got the attention of these lawyers in Beaumont, Texas, at the most prestigious firm in that part of Texas. And they got back in touch with me and said, hey, look, you put together a heck of a writ for a guy that's never been to law school. When you get out of prison, come see us. We got a job for you. Wow. And so the second day out of prison, I'm knocking on the door of the law firm. I'm like, hey, I'm in my best hand-me-down clothes I could. I had. I probably still smell like prison. <laughs> but I walked in, and these 
these people who gave me a job at Provo Suffrage, they gave me a job. I became a, a paralegal, a legal assistant in the pharmaceutical division of one of the most prestigious firms in Texas. And that job, why I say it's the, one of the best jobs ever, is because that job didn't just, they didn't just give me employment. They gave me validity. They gave a guy that needed a second chance and needed some validity because, I mean, here I am on parole for the rest of my life. I committed crimes and got a life sentence by a jury in Dallas. Now, even though no one was ever hurt in the commission of my crimes, I've never saw my victim. No one was physically hurt. Still, you've got this stigma of being a formerly incarcerated person. And well, here's something that, that us formerly incarcerated people know in America, that punishment never stops. And it doesn't matter how much time you've done or what you know, what kind of sentence you've done or what kind of penance you've paid, you're always going to be judged by some people for the things you've done wrong. Your worst day in life is going to be the day that they judge you by. And that law firm brought me in, and they put their credibility on the line with a guy that had just walked out of prison. I mean, imagine that, man. They've got this firm they built for half a century, and they bring me in and take a chance on me. And, and I worked there for five. I told them, what are they hired, man? It will give me five years. Give me five years. I promise you I'll give you five years. Just please, I'll do anything. I'll take out the trash. I'll, I'll clean the floors, whatever. But they made me a paralegal there, and I gave them five years. I, I just left the firm in December of 2020. I've had, on the day after my five-year anniversary, starting work there. Um, because of the stuff going on in my life now, it's going in so many different directions that I just I didn't have time to be there anymore. But yeah, for sure. What a great opportunity. Yeah, uh, definitely. How about uh, a movie, TV show, or a music group that brings back some memories of your uh, high school years? There was a, so, so there was a movie that came out when I was in high school, and it's, it stayed with me. I'm going to try to remember the moral of the story. It was called The Bronx Tale. You ever seen the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, De Niro, right? De Niro, yeah, De Niro, and you see a kid in Colosio, man, Colosio, he grows up on the street of the Bronx, and he's got two paths that he's looking at, right, one's the mob guy, Sonny, and one's his dad, the bus driver, De Niro, you know, right. and his dad is always trying to keep him on the right path, but he's got this allure to this glitz and the glamour of being the mob, you know, being one of the mob guys, and that movie had three morals at the end of it, and I'm going to try to remember there are three lessons in life in that movie. And one of them is the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. The decisions you make today will affect your life tomorrow. And I'm trying to think of the third one was. It was so impactful to me in high school. I remember watching it just thinking, man, this was such a great movie. I, I can't remember what the third lesson was in that movie, but I haven't, I haven't seen it since I was in high school. But a Bronx Tale, if you're asking about something in high school, it was a Bronx Tale, man. That movie had a real big impact on me. Awesome. Thank you. You've just started school, and the path you choose now may be the one you follow for the rest of your life. All right, Damon. So now we're going to take, uh, we're going to pick up the story uh, from when you're in prison, and you meet a man who uh, basically influenced the rest of your life. And in your book, you refer to him as Mr. Jackson. And one of the first lessons that you learn from him is uh, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. And that's uh, from reading The Change Agent. That was the one that still resonates with me. Now, in your case, it was very, very literal in the context of prison, but it can also be applied outside, uh, you know, where you're not actually physically fighting. So first, uh, if you could tell us the literal version of, of how he shared that story with you and how you experienced it, and then uh, talk about how it's impacted you uh, since being released and in your new career. Yeah, no, and Chris is one of the pivotal characters in my life. And I, and I tell audience of the, all the time that uh, in my life, you know, and I don't know what everybody believes out there spiritually, but... God, as I believe in God, has never just reached down and said, hey, Damon, you're healed. 
and put his hand on my head and say, hey, Danny, you know, that never happened in my life. In my life, what has happened is, is people have been put in my life. And when you're younger, these people are called teachers, they're called coaches, they're principals, they're administrators, they're people that help guide you in life. And as you go through life and you get out of your school age years, you're going to meet more and more people. And sometimes these people don't look anything like you. That's another lesson I tell people all the time. Is you have to be receptive to the messenger and, and whoever the messenger is. They may come in a body, a form that looks nothing like you, has nothing of the same shared American experience as you, but they have something to teach you. Now, Mr. Jackson... He was a Muslim guy. I call him Mr. Jackson for the sake of the story and to protect his name. But, uh, you know, it's a black Muslim man from Dallas, probably in his 60s. I never got his real age. So we had nothing. He's a cruel criminal. We've been out of prison four or five times. This guy and I, at the time of me, the only thing we have in common is that we're both in Dallas County Jail and we're both human beings, you know? So he looks totally different than me, coming from a different background, but he had so much knowledge, Chris. I mean, this guy imparted with me his wisdom all the time. And when he's telling me, you know, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. He's telling me about the dynamics of the world I'm about to walk into because he tells me that prison, he said the first thing you have seen about prison is all about race. You know, and, and I made a promise to my mom and my dad that I would not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aaron Brotherhood type gangs, because I was scared because I was in a minority going in there. I'm going to the worst part of the prison too, y'all. So it's not like this is something I can just promise and, hey, it's going to be easy. This is the hardest route possible for the world I'm about to go into, the easiest thing to do when you go into that situation is to get into a gang. In fact, everybody in that pod in Dallas County Jail, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, is telling me the same thing. You have to get into a gang. Make your life easy, Wes. Get into a gang. But I couldn't because I made a promise to my parents, promise to myself, promise to God. So Mr. Jackson is uh, talking to me one morning in Dallas County Jail. And, you know, the most positive guy I've ever met, despite the fact that he could never get it right in his own life, it seemed, you know, four or five times felon, he was the most positive guy ever met. This guy had a smile on his face everywhere he went. So he came up one morning, cup of coffee in his hand, smile on his face, and he's telling me about prison, about the racial dynamic in there, that I'm going to have to fight the white gangs first if I want to be independent. And then if I survive that, and I don't give into that ideology of hate that they spread out of fear. You know, and fear is one of those things, you know, we saw in 2020 what fear could do with human beings, right? You see what fear, fear can make you believe things that aren't real. That make you see your neighbor as someone that's a threat because they look different. John, my, my co-author, my friend John Gordon, John says fear and faith have more in common than just the other to begin with. He said fear and faith both believe in a future that has not happened yet. Fear is this negative future we can choose, and right. faith is a positive future. So John's always saying choose faith over fear. That's what Jackson is telling me in Dallas County Jail in 2009. And he said, if you survive the white gangs, then you're going to have to fight the black gangs after that. They're going to come after you because you're not getting with your own race, your own kind. And that's what he tells me. He said, you don't have to win all these fights, but you do have to fight all these fights. You know, he's telling me that no one's keeping track of wins and losses. And this is true in life, Chris. No one keeps track of your wins and losses in life. But they all want you to see it for those times you don't get back up. And that's when people start watching what happens with how you handle your fights in life. And that's when he tells me, he says, Wes, let me break it down for you in the way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he said, anything we put in this pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. And he said, I'm going to put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. And so he walks me through it. He said, the carrot goes into the pot of boiling water we call prison hard, but turns soft quickly. The carrot got beat down, robbed, you know, he may got killed. He said, you don't want to be carried in prison. Carrots are soft and mushy. And he said, the egg in the pot of boiling water called prison, the soft liquid inside, the core, the heart of that egg becomes harder 
And he said, if your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving and receiving love. And he said, if you're incapable of giving and receiving love, you become institutionalized. And you will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell wax swastikas tattooed all over it. And then he shared with me the story of the coffee bean and that pot of boiling water called prison. Because he said, the coffee bean, smallest of these three things, he said, small like you, had the power to change the entire history inside that pot. He said, because the power was inside the coffee bean, just like the power is inside of you. And he said, everything else was changed by the water. The carrot was changed by the water. The egg was changed by the water. He said, but the coffee bean changed the water. And he said, everybody in life puts that energy, negative or positive, whatever kind of energy we put out, we attract back the law of attraction, y'all, and it works. And so he's telling me, he said, if you want to survive this and, and come out as someone your parents recognize, come a, a better man, you're going to have to be like that coffee bean. And if you be like that coffee bean, then the other coffee beans in prison are going to find you too because of your energy. And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me, Chris, and the way I have to go, the, the prison bus is there to pick me up and I'm getting shackled to another human being for this bus ride. And Mr. Jackson's four words, be a coffee bean. And yeah, and now, now what does that mean? How could we, um, you know, give some advice to our listeners and to me and Eric and Carrie here? Uh, how, what can we do in our own lives to, to be a coffee bean? This is a good question, Chris. How, how, do, how do we become coffee beans in our lives? Because here it is. I'm, I'm going into the most inhospitable environment that there is. The maximum security penitentiary in the state of Texas. The highest level, too, because of my life sentence. And this guy's giving me this fable, this parable, this allegory of, being a coffee bean. But he didn't get an instruction book. He didn't get a rules, a rule guide, you know, a roadmap. Become a coffee bean. And let me tell you something, Chris. It was tough. One of the questions I asked Mr. Jackson when he told me the story about the carrot egg and the coffee bean, I asked him, what do you find more of in prison? And he fired, fired back immediately. He said, eggs. Because he said the egg is a natural evolution of a human being inside of a difficult situation. And basically, I'm going to the most difficult situation imaginable. And he said, you'll probably become an egg too. And, you know, Jackson was right. You know, I had become the egg, but after two months of prison of almost nonstop violence and fighting, I started becoming the egg, and I didn't want to be the egg, Chris. I wanted to come back as someone my parents recognized, but I, I didn't know how to become that coffee bean. I had a conversation with my cellmate, this guy named Carlos, one night, and Carlos and I, I mean, I got the bottom line, just got the top line. We're five by, I mean, we're 10 by 12 cell that we live in, and in this little cell, I'm telling Carlos the story of the coffee bean one night, and, and Carlos is a a little bitty guy he jumps off the top block. He's really excited. He's really animated. And he's like, I, mean, I love the coffee bean story. He said, but you're no coffee and you're never going to be a coffee bean. And I got angry with him. I'm like, what do you do? The coffee bean? How can you tell me if I can't do the coffee bean, right? And he said, you can't be the coffee bean because the way you think is getting in your way. He said, he told me I had stinking thinking. I've never heard anybody say stinking thinking before or since. But he said, your thinking is in the way of this. He said, all action is born of thought. And thoughts without action... They're just thoughts. He gave me a riddle, Chris. He said, three frogs are sitting below. One of the frogs makes the decision to jump. He said, how many frogs are left on the bottom? And I'm a smart guy. I'm a college guy. So I fired off back at him. I said, two. Eric, man, when I told him two, he said, wrong. Three. All three frogs are sitting below. He said, because the frog that made the decision to jump didn't think he actually jumped. And that's you right now. He said, you're that third frog. He said, if you want to become that coffee bean, you have to change your mindset. And this is what was so important about anything you want to do in life. You have to change the way you see a problem, the way you view your situation. Position determines perspective. He said, you have to quit looking at prison as a punishment and start looking at prison as an opportunity. This guy, this little bank robber from San Antonio, refused to call prison a punishment. He said, this prison is your opportunity. You work on yourself 
45 hours a day, seven days a week, become the best version of yourself possible, and you said, what are you prepared to do with your opportunity? And then at the point in time when he told me this, I just started serving a life sentence in the hardest kind of prison there is in Texas, maybe the hardest prison in the whole state, and this guy's telling me I'm sitting in my opportunity, not my punishment, and it didn't even register, but you know what, I got up the next morning, my feet at the cold concrete floor of the prison cell, and I got to work on myself. Didn't necessarily believe it was possible that was an opportunity, but I kept doing it day after day. And, and you know, it's like I tell you, know, especially young people, these things don't happen overnight. Results take time to measure. And it took a while to become a coffee bean. Days became weeks, weeks became months, months became years, but I figured it out. I cracked the code, if you will, of being a coffee bean. And, and I broke it down to five ways, really, Chris, that inside okay. the prison that I had to do every single day. The first thing I had to do was practice positive body language. This means, you know, I had to put on a smile everywhere I went. And that's what we have to do. Our body language is powerful. Our smiles have power. Because when you smile, your smile connection treated your brain to release a chemical called endorphin. And these things make you feel good. The endorphins flood your body when you smile. But when other people see you smile, they smile back. People are really body language for cues. And whenever you're smiling, other people smile back. And now you've affected the energy in the room. Mr. Jackson told me in county jail, he said, your, your energy will either negatively infect everyone you go into or positively affect the rooms you go into. Infect versus affect. So the first rule about being a coffee bean is positive body language, smile. Second rule about being a coffee bean was working out on myself in, in three areas every day, spiritually, mentally, and physically. You know, I was locked up with guys that could play in the NBA or NFL. These guys were massive physical specimens because they worked out on their bodies all day long, but they didn't work out their minds and they didn't work out their soul. You want to be a complete person, you want to be a coffee bean, you got to work out all three. And this means that we're going to feed ourselves the right stuff spiritually, mentally, I mean, Little workout. This is a big thing I talk about with young people. Well, what kind of books you read? What kind of videos you watch? What kind of websites do you go to? Who are you hanging out with? If you show me who you hang out with, and I can tell you who you are. So can everybody around you, too. You are the company that you keep. And what kind of social media are you on? You know, what are you posting? Who are you following? You know, we are what we eat. That's not just our food. That's about everything we put in these big brains of ours up here. So we have to put in the right stuff. And, and just like that with food, we got to take care of our bodies physically. The third rule about being a coffee bean, something I learned in life in, in prison that I picked up, and I call it the secret to life. The secret to life is servant leadership, and servant leadership is helping other people achieve their goals in life, helping to raise other people up to a different station of life, because what do I know about other people? Chris, Eric, I mean, that's why we're at our best, man. That's what, and that's what we're called to do. You know, when I was in prison, for example, I couldn't, I couldn't take college classes. I had a bachelor's degree in sociology, so I was not eligible to take any college classes. But you know what I could do? I could teach guys how to read how to write. I got down to that level and worked with guys that were trying to get their GED. I got to help men attain an education inside that prison so they can have a better chance in life when they got out one day. They can help take care of their families too. If I saw trash in the ground in prison, I'd pick it up. And, it, and with all the cacophony of laughter and noise in the background, people, why are you getting the trash bags? You're a garbage man. And just very juvenile jokes cracked me, but to me, prison was my home. And if you're walking around your home and you see trash, you pick up the trash. And so my mindset was to serve other people. And we were serving other people. The good thing about this is, is it takes us out of, our own, out of our own problems. You know, if, if somebody told me once that if, you can, if everybody could put their problems on a pile and decide whose problems you want to pick up, you'd probably go back and grab your own problems again when you saw everybody else's. You know? And so serving leadership gives, it gives me a chance to get outside of myself and help other people and be useful. Again, the fourth rule about being a coffee bean is knowing what I do and do not control 
this is a tough one. This is, it took me going to prison being stripped of pretty much everything to understand that there's four things I control, the same four things everyone else controls in their lives. And it's <clears throat> what you think, what you say, what you feel, and most important, everybody's going to see what you do, your actions, you know? These are the only four things. Everything you control is literally between your ears. It's inside your head. And the fifth rule I get to call for me is, it's one, it's one of my favorites because I, I get to live this every single day of my life today, and I, and I convince myself of it in there. It is true still. It's that your past doesn't define you. you know, your past wins don't matter. Your past losses don't matter. Your past is your lesson. You learn from it, and you teach other people with it, man. You, you want to be able to use that lesson as much as you can. Y'all are principals and teachers. Y'all are administrators. Y'all know what it's like to teach and use lessons of the past. Your past is your lesson. The present today is a gift, not a gift for you. Again, a gift for what you can do for other people. And the future is your motivation. And we always got to motivate ourselves with the right things, because if not, we run the risk of becoming prisoners in our own mind. And let me tell y'all something. Of all the places to do time in, look, I've been time in maximum security prison almost a decade. I teach about prisons today. I'm a prison professor. I can tell you what the hardest prison is in America. The hardest place to do time in this country is the prison in your mind. Because I need more people out here that are locked up than I ever did when I was in prison. More people are in prison by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete. And I feel that the coffee bean message is one that can take people out from being in prison in their mind to become useful again to the world around them. Outstanding. Yeah. Thank you, Damon. And you know, you said it, yeah, you said it great there. Your, your past doesn't define you and yeah, you're a living example of that because uh, you know, as difficult and challenging uh, as your past has been uh, certainly moving forward, you're making a difference. Uh, and what I want to, what I want to talk about next is um, I know Eric and I uh, are fans, uh, fans isn't the right word, but we've listened to the, the work of Ed Milat. And one of the things that, that he says is you live with your imagination, not with your memory, which is the same, the same message. Uh, you know, your memory, you're just living in your past. And there are athletes and actors and celebrities who had their one shining moment and they live on that one shining moment for the next 40 years and they never progress beyond that. Uh, given the success that you've had with the coffee bean and the coffee bean for kids, it would be very easy for you to spend the next 30, 40 years of your life just telling the coffee bean message, which is wonderful. But I have a feeling, Damon, that you and you've mentioned your wife, Kendall, um, aren't just going to rest on your laurels here and sip the coffee bean for the next 30 years that I, I think you're probably going to move forward. What, what do you have in store for us next? Man, that's a, it's a, it's a great question, Chris. So you're right. You're right. So look, I mean, look, the, the easiest path for me to do would be to, to get out of prison and, and have all the success and just kind of sit back on it and, and just enjoy the fruits of, of that success. But, that wouldn't mean being a coffee bean, would it? I mean, that, the, and, and look, and Kendall and I, you know, ever since we, Kendall started dating me when I was living in my parents' spare bedroom. I was making, you know, a little over minimum wage and I had a great job and probably some law firm, but none of the stuff was going on in my life whenever Kendall and I met. And, and it was, by the way, a bunch. Man, I'm keeping this woman. <laughs> she's, never, she's never going to get away from me. I mean, she was there in the very beginning when, when she just got to see the whole thing. And we got to go through all this together and see the evolution of this message take off. But we've always both felt like there's got to be something bigger that we can do with this message. And, and we started a foundation in 2020 called the Be a Coffee Bean Foundation. But we had to have, we're still trying to find the purpose of it. We knew during the pandemic there's going to be a need. Uh, for us to do something and help other people, and it came to us. We had this light bulb moment last year when we heard about this group called Call Me Mister. Call Me Mister is on the campus in Clemson. And Dabo Sweeney, uh, Dabo and his wife Kathleen had Kendall and I for dinner one night in Clemson last summer. 
And Gabby was telling me about the, this group that it, the foundation raises money for, called the Mr. What? Well, called the Mr. Jesse Clinton is they go out and they find black men that graduate high school, 18 years old, one black, young black man, and say, hey, look, we're going to give you a scholarship to Clinton for elementary education. We're going to come here, we're going to have a little bit of learning community where other men are going to mentor you to, and we're going to pay for it all. And when you graduate, we're going to take you and put you into a, an at-risk school, a Title I-type school, where a lot of the population looks like them, by the way, because there's studies that show that if a, a black boy has a black male teacher in the formative years from second and fifth grade, and 35, 40% more likely to graduate high school. And more likely to be a teacher himself because it seems that it's possible one day, you know? And so this program just blew Kimmel and I away. We're like, and how have we never heard of, of Call Me Mystery? You know, what they're doing is they're, they're finding, they're filling a need. Less than 2% of the, y'all in education, you know this, less than 2% of the public education teachers in America are black men. There's hardly any black men in public education. They didn't dawn on us. The light bulb moment was this. Hey, you know what? This calling Mr. Program, we can do this inside of a prison. If I could find a state prison system that would allow me to come in and pick, say, five guys in a cohort, five black male inmates that have a low-level crime, not a lot of time left for their sentence, and they have the aptitude to test into college, I can take these five inmates, these five black men, ship them to one prison have a university affiliated with Call Me Mr. come into the prison and get these guys educated, get them a bachelor's degree in elementary education, get them to become certified teachers in public education because, you know, I think it's worth noting that most states allow felons to be teachers. Now, not everybody will hire a felon as a teacher, but most states in America do allow felons with certain felonies. With certain felonies, you wouldn't want inside of the school, and those guys wouldn't be attracted to this program. But we get these guys graduated get them a, a, a teacher certification, we pay for it all, and then we pull them out of prison, and we go stick them in the toughest elementary schools in that state, the toughest Title I schools, the toughest at-risk environment there is, and they are the coffee beans inside the pot of warm waters in these kids' lives. In fact, the, the initiative we decided would be called Mr. Coffee Bean. And, and the foundation really kicks in at this point because what we're going to do when Mr. Coffee Bean walks out of prison, because I've been through the re-entry process, we give them a used car that's been donated to the foundation. We give them a wardrobe, of course, that have been donated to the foundation. We give them a place to live for a year, and we take care of their first-year student-teacher salary because we don't want to take a guy that's been in prison for a few years and, and stick him into a room full of screaming third graders, right? We want to set him up for success. And he didn't have him be a student-teacher with another teacher. We want him to learn from another teacher, but we don't want the taxpayers to pay for any of this stuff. So... We got this fantastic idea and a fantastic program. The trip was to find a state to do it, and we did. The state of Louisiana. In fact, I'm coming to you now from Apple, Louisiana. Kim and I are here this morning. We're getting ready to go tour the Hunt facility in Baton Rouge. In fact, in a few hours, we're going to, Kim and I are going to be walking through a prison in Baton Rouge. And this prison is going to be where we take our five guys that we pick and bring them onto this unit and put them on the same unit and mentor these guys. And we're hoping to get LSU as our partner university to come into this prison and teach these guys elementary education degrees. And I mean, we've got so many ideas with this thing, though, Chris. I mean, we can, we can have a lab inside a prison where these guys are actually teaching their inmates how to read, how to write, you know, teaching them. Because a lot of people come to prison and they don't have anything more than a fourth, fifth grade, sixth grade education. 
So that's one of the initiatives the foundation is doing. The other one is this, this program that we have that connects children who have incarcerated parents with extracurricular activities. It's a coffee bean carriage program. And what we want to do is we want to find incarcerated men or women around the country, and if they have a child, let that incarcerated men or woman nominate their child for an extracurricular scholarship. This is like, hey, you know, your kid, your, your kid wants to think, you know, your daughter wants to dance or, or your kid wants to karate or, or music lessons or anything there is, any type of extracurricular activity there is, we want to pay for that. We want to keep these kids and the cultural parents involved because we know, studies show, that if a child has an incarcerated parent, that he or she is more likely to end up incarcerating themselves. We want to keep these kids involved with activities while their parent is incarcerated. Actually, strengthen the, the parent-child bond. Or that parent. When I was in prison, you know, it was so heartbreaking to see these men there that have kids on the outside and they can do nothing for their kids. Our kids are our biggest victims when we commit crimes. When we make those kind of mistakes, men and women make those kind of mistakes and become criminals and felons, our biggest victims should be left behind because they can do nothing to, to take care of themselves. They're relying upon, you know, a, one, a single parent family or a grandparent to take care of them at this point. So we want to step in and we want to get that kid involved. And we want to get criminal justice reform on two levels. And the thing about this is, too, y'all, is I've been hit up by so many people. As my profile has grown and I've become a professor in criminal, criminal justice, people have tried to get me to attach to their criminal justice ideas of criminal justice reform movements, but I never found one that I really wanted because I wanted to find something, we, Kim and I wanted to find something that would do criminal justice reform on two levels. We wanted pre-interventions and we wanted second chances. And we feel like these two initiatives do that. I mean, they, you know, Mr. Coffee Bean, you talk about a mentor. Y'all are principals. Y'all are elementary school principals. Think about taking a guy that has been to prison before, a black male teacher, sticking him in the school, which is probably the only black male teacher you have in the school anyway. And any kid that's messing up in that school is going to put him aside and say, hey, son, let me tell you about the choices you're making in life. Let me tell you my story. It's like sticking a coffee bean inside a bottle of warm water and making that coffee, y'all. No, those are two great, uh, great ideas. Uh, you know, I love the, the coffee bean cares uh, especially, uh, and the Mr. Coffee Bean sounds interesting too. Uh, you kind of alluded to it. The hiring process, I think, would be very interesting, state to state or even district to district. Um, but yeah, the 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 potential for a positive impact there is huge. And I know Eric and I both have students at our school who have at least one, and in some cases, two incarcerated parents. And you're absolutely right, Damon. Uh, you know, these kids struggle. You know, getting to school, having you know, having the support at home. You know, in, in a lot of cases, the six hours a day that they're at school is the safest and, and most nurturing environment that they have. Well, what are your thoughts about that, Eric? I know that at Lyme, uh, we've got some of that going on, too. Absolutely. I think our kids need to see kids that look like them and have experiences like them uh, in places of success and places of power and places of impact. So anything we can do to position adults in, in places of leadership for our kids, it's going to be more powerful, especially if it's somebody that our kids can relate to. Yeah, we definitely look forward to seeing how that all plays out. Uh, you know, a question uh, before we get onto our extra credit, which we have, um, you know, talking to you about the coffee bean, our extra credit questions that we do with our guests is usually something way offbeat or in some cases absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but with the coffee bean, uh, it kind of sets itself up perfectly. But before that, you know, I've been meaning to ask ever since I read The Change Agent, is Mr. Jackson aware of where all of this, of this, the seed that he has planted, is he aware of where it's gone from there? This is the thing about it. I can't find Mr. Jackson. I, I don't know his real name. I knew him as Mahalik. Man, when these guys go to prison, 
and they convert to Islam. They give up what's called their government name. My government name is Ben West. You're Chris Martin, you're Eric Land. That's your government name. They give that up, and they go by a Muslim name. This guy was named Muhammad. Think about Cassius Clay. He goes to prison in the 1960s, and he comes out, Muhammad Ali. That's how we all knew him as Muhammad Ali. So this guy... I only have a, a Muslim name. I've tried to find him, but you know, without his real name or his birthday, now it's kind of guilty. So there's no way to locate this person. And how can you find someone without having any information about him? I've got hope that at some point he finds me because I've got one heck of a story to tell him. And, and I, I really, if I get to talk to him, and I hope I do, I want to ask him what he thought the chances were that I would survive that or come on the other side of that because I've got a hunch that. He didn't even believe that it was going to be possible for me to come on the other side of it, but he wanted to give me the best message, as much positivity as possible. He never let on. If he thought it wasn't possible, he never let that on. But, you know, the day he told me the problem coming in, too, it's like, it's almost like a hint that, hey, man, what you're going into is going to be so, so tough. And it was right. It was. But I've never been able to locate this guy. Man, that's the, you know, hopefully, you know, you're right. Hopefully he'll hear the message and he'll find you and, and that you're able to kind of share all of this with him. So, all right. So for our ex- you, you, mentioned, you mentioned something though, Chris. I want to yeah. go back to something you sure. mentioned about uh, the Mr. Crawford being done in the hiring process. You said the hiring process should be pretty interesting. Look, that's something that, you know, every state's board of education has got, what we've discovered is, you know, our council has looked into it. So, Every state has a list of felonies that can and cannot be right. uh, a certified teacher. Um, but we lay down a rule, we put a line in the sand that, and, and we do believe this initiative will become very popular around the country. I was in Mississippi last week in the prison system, and the, the director of prison there, Commissioner Bill Kane, who's a famous guy for his, his time at Angola, when it was the warden at Angola and Louisiana for almost three decades. Commissioner Kane heard this 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 uh, this initiative of Mr. Coffee meeting. He's like, "Hey, we need this in Mississippi." So I got two southern states, two very conservative southern states that are now wanting to, to bring you know Mr. Coffee meeting there. And most states, I've told the same thing. The line saying that I drew is that I will not. Our foundation will not bring this initiative into any state that will not allow our guys to become certified. Public, public education teachers. So the teacher certification process has to be a guaranteed route because I'm I'm a formerly incarcerated person, Chris. And you know, I really this is the very beginning, y'all, is that punishment never stops if you're a formerly incarcerated person. And I refuse to put a guy through a program like this that has earned his second chance in life. Because that's what we have. We have second chances and pre-interventions with this program. I refuse to put a guy through this entire process where he's earned that second chance in life and he comes out as a half person. Not going to happen. If you're a state that will not allow one of our guys to become certified, to become a full, you know, a full teacher, because we're not going to have him as a half teacher, then we just won't win your state. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you have to, you, you know, you have to set them up for success for sure. I mean, you don't want to put, put them on a track, put anyone on a track that isn't going to um, be a hundred percent successful. Uh, absolutely. Well, thank yeah, thanks for thank you. Let me put y'all on the spot, though. I mean, yeah. you know, elementary school principals. If there were a guy that fit this criteria, that he was, you know, his crime and everything lined up with what your state allows to be a certified teacher, and he's gone on and got, he got his degree in prison, and would y'all hire? I mean, would y'all, would y'all consider hiring someone that fits this criteria? I mean, I got two principals on, on, the, on the Zoom. I mean, it's a great question. I want to know from y'all. Would uh, this be someone that would be attractive in your school? 
You know, I'll take it from this perspective. And, you know, I've been a part of this district for a really long time. And one of the things that I and probably I'll speak for Chris, but I'll let him comment as well, that we always look for when we're hiring a teacher. There's three things that we look for. We look for what we call an ACE, A-C-E. And so we look for candidates that have a positive attitude. They care about kids and they're enthusiastic. So if they have the credentials and all that, they're going to get screened in anyway. But when we interview them, it's because we're looking for those character traits. Do they care about kids? They have a positive attitude. Because in my opinion, the rest we can teach. We can support, we can teach, we can coach. So if they're able to get credentialed and certified and they have those ACE uh, qualities, then they're a pretty high candidate in my book. So they still have to perform. But at the end of the day, if they're an ACE, then we're going to give them a, a good, close look. Yeah. Can- ACE stand for? ACE stands for positive attitude, care about kids. And enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah, please do. Yeah. No, and to, and to answer your question directly, yeah, you know, if somebody comes to the interview uh, and and they can hit it out of the park, and they represent the characteristics that we're looking for, absolutely we would consider any candidate that meets those. So thank you for clarifying that, Damon. Yeah, no, and, and I believe also, y'all, look, this isn't just a program that's just for black kids in an at-risk school. Having a black male teacher in, in every school would be good. I mean, because if, if, if he has qualifications, but I mean, hey, you know what? You, you want to fix you know, what's going on in America, the, the racism that's going on in America? You know, you need to have more diversity. Yeah, we yeah, no, 100%, Damon. I mean, you know, if you have a positive black role model for, for white kids, that, that helps combat racism right there too. Uh, so yeah, absolutely right now. We need to, we need to consider that in the hiring process for sure. Wake up and smell the coffee, Mrs. Bueller. All right, so we're going to kick it over to our extra credit question to go back to the coffee bean, the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean. Uh, we like to tie a lot of things into television, movies, and pop culture. So we want to see if each of us can think of examples from TV or movies of a carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. And I think the best way to do this, let's just take it one at a time as far as let's look at our carrots. So, Eric, you want to start off? The can- and to remind our listeners, the carrot is somebody that is weakened by the environment, that comes into a tough environment and it just breaks them down. So who do you got, Eric? Uh, you know, the first one that came to mind for me was, you know, if I'm going to go Disney, I'm thinking Eeyore. You know, Eeyore just kind of is a woes me, <laughs> down on his luck, sad, you know, needs a lot of encouragement. And, and I, don't, I, I don't know enough history on Eeyore to know where that came from or if he's just always been that way. But when I think, you know, a carrot, somebody who's just soft, I always think Eeyore. What about you, Damon? Who's your carrot? Uh, you know, I'm thinking about my, my carrot is, uh, he, would have to, but he, he, turned into, he turned into a coffee bean, Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan was a killer if he lost his legs and forced Oh, absolutely. Uh, he was, he was a, a sad case. He was killing his egg. He was a little bit of both. But I mean, I, I think of Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan was, it, it was like, yeah, it's a lot of emotion you face in life. He lost his legs, you know, but Good one. My favorite line from that when uh, when Forrest, uh, you know, he Lieutenant Dan says to Forrest, he goes, "I'm trying to find my sea legs." And Forrest goes, "But Lieutenant Dan, you ain't got no legs." And then <laughs> and then Lieutenant Dan just looks at him, "Yes, I know that, Forrest." I mean, just that response was beautiful. Uh, and and my, my carrot, 
Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Game of Thrones, but there's a character on Game of Thrones, Theon Greyjoy, and he started out as a ward of the Stark family, who was one of the most, most powerful families, and then he is taken by another family and he's basically treated like a pet he's tortured uh he he is not allowed to use his real name uh his his captor ramsey snow names him reek r-e-e-k and that's all he's allowed to refer to himself as to where he he gets broken down to where he's saying i am reek i am reek and he's tortured and broken down he redeems himself uh, you know, he gets out of that situation and re- redeems himself later in the story. But man, for a long stretch, he's about as as broken down as, as a human com- being can be. So yeah, Th- Theon Greyjoy from Game of Thrones. That's a great choice too. And look, man, he, for him to have a long stretch in the Game of Thrones, that's that's amazing. Because I read, I read some of the books in prison. You'd be, you know, a thousand pages into a story and you kill off one of the guys you think it's the main oh, character. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, you, just, you just kill the main character. And it happens over and over. It's like no one's saved. So if Dion Greyjoy lasted that long, he's, he's good. He, oh, absolutely. He's good. He lasted a while. All right, and then let's move on to eggs. And I'll start with the eggs uh, from um, from one of my favorite shows ever, Breaking Bad. Walter White, of course. I mean, you talk about somebody. He yeah. starts off as a uh, you know, and the way that uh, the the showrunner Vince Gilligan described the character when he pitched the show Breaking Bad is he said, "We want to take Mister Chips and turn him into Scarface," and that's exactly what happens. Is that Walter White is a chemistry teacher with a cancer diagnosis, and life is really uh, dealing him you know a rough hand, and all of a sudden he just one thing leads to another you know which is the the cheesiest storyline technique and one thing leads to another and anyway um he ends up being being a drug kingpin and you know that it just definitely uh the pot of boiling water hardens him definitely right got hardened yeah. yeah all right what about you definitely, man. Walter White's a great choice I like, I like this game this is fun oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, eric's let eric take the egg next then yeah. we'll kick the egg to you i, I don't ha- i don't always have quite the backstory as chris does but but for me uh kind of like lieutenant dan i think my character certainly is an egg at some points and possibly coffee bean at others but i'm gonna go with chuck nolan from castaway so um he's you know obviously uh tom hanks character who gets uh stranded on an island after a plane crash and over the course of time on the island and being left alone and left to his own psychosis i guess and you know becoming friends with the vol- with the volleyball he certainly throughout a majority of that becomes very hardened by his environment physically literally and mentally so you know i, I think there's some argument that he kind of redeems that later on in the movie after he is rescued but for certainly a huge chunk of the movie uh mr nolan is definitely an egg in my opinion that's a great choice it shows you that there's a facet to it that is, can be a survival instinct yep. as well. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. he, he had to harden because, I mean, he had, I mean, Wilson wasn't going to get the food for him, that's for sure. I mean, he had to figure it out. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> All right, you're up, Damon. You're egg. You're going to love this. If you've seen the movie, Falling Down is the yes. movie. Yes. Michael Douglas. Yes. This guy works for defense contractors. Just, it really looks like an IBM guy from the 1950s, and, and he just and he, and he just cracks one yep. day. He just just breaks, and he goes on this rampage, and he just it, he does a lot of things that I think people think about but would never do. You know, we, it, it, we just you gotta watch him. He goes nuts. He goes into a convenience store. He doesn't like the price of something. He takes this little baseball bat he has, and he's just beating the shelves of everything in there because he didn't like the price that the guy told him in the store. And it's like the guy's fault in the store. The guy's just a, a store clerk. 
what he does things to people. I mean, somebody uh, has, is in a traffic jam and somebody's really rude to someone like that. And I mean, he snaps one day and he, he just snaps and he starts going on his rampage. Now, I don't condone violence or anything like that, but this guy, man, when he, when he lost it, he snapped, you talk about an egg, man. He was a fierce egg. That's a good one. So, yeah, Michael Douglas from Falling Down. Yeah, I love that movie. That was great. All right, and now, of course, the coffee beans. And I'll start the coffee beans, and and I like this one because it's, you know, he's in a prison. And to me, one of the greatest coffee beans in cinematic history is Andy Dufresne from The Shawshank Redemption. Ah, I think he stole it. (laughs) Andy is absolutely a coffee bean because he goes in and, you know, the way the Morgan Freeman character Red describes him is, you know, and here's Andy Dufresne, this tall drink of water, who's just walking around without a care in the world here in the in Shawshank Penitentiary. And during the course of Andy's time, he creates the prison library. You know, he writes letters uh, to get that approved, and he builds a library, and he has music uh, albums sent in. He, you know, he's doing the taxes for the, for the guards. Uh, he just is not letting that environment break him down. So, yeah, Andy is, uh, is a great example, I think, of a coffee bean. All right, let's go to you, Damon. <laughs> that's, that's, a great, that's a great one because, I mean, my dad, when I got out of prison, my dad sat down with my parents, and my dad's like, hey, watch these prison movies with me. Tell me which one's the most realistic, right? So we started sitting down. We're watching Cool Hand. We're watching them all, man. But, but Shawshank, and I hadn't seen Shawshank since the 90s, man, but I was like, man. Stephen King did a really good job of depicting prison. And, and not only that, but Andrew Dufresne, I told my dad, I said, this guy and I were so much alike in prison. And so it's so weird to watch it now because he, he stuck out like a sore thumb inside that place because of his interview, his positivity, his background. And these are all things that happened to me when I was in prison. And the greatest compliment I could ever receive, of course, from anybody in prison, a guard, uh, a warden, a chaplain volunteer, is when they pulled me aside and said, hey, Wes, What's your story, man? You don't fit in here, man. You stick out in this place. Best thing you can ever hear. But Andy Dufresne, great choice. You stole my choice. <laughs> Sorry, Damon. <laughs> and you know what? Morgan Freeman, he could be he could be Andy's Mr. Jackson. Uh, I mean, yeah, right absolutely. there. I mean, it's, yeah, you, you absolutely could. So, all right. So, here's my second choice, then. Uh, it's a good one. It's um, the guy that escapes from prison, and he goes on and does all these positive things. John Bojot from the Miserables. That's that's a good for me. That's a, a good um, care, uh, coffee bean. Hey, another one that uh, you you brought back a lot of memories of the prison stuff. One of the best books I ever read when I was in prison, and it's one of my favorite books to this day, was The Count of Monte Cristo. And I don't know if you've ever read The Count of Monte Cristo or seen the movie. I haven't, but, but I, I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar with it. Eric? This is a guy. This guy was all three. He was the mm-hmm. he was the character at the end of the coffee bean. And he didn't become the coffee bean, but from from a lot of that book, he was the he was the egg man. He's getting revenge on all these people that put him in prison for eighteen years. Uh, but yeah, I'm going with John Valjean. Perfect. And Eric, what about you? Who's I like it, man. Bean? You guys went deep. Mine's going to sound a little silly, but uh, <laughs> but I'll throw it out there anyway, because if anybody listens to our podcast knows that we're a bit of an 80s, 90s movie pop culture kind of kind of fans. But uh, I'm going with Maverick from Top Gun. You know, Maverick going into, uh, you know, uh, flight school and uh, almost getting kicked out and trying to live under the shadow of his dad. And he gets to a point where he is, you know, pretty much a, a carrot and hands in his wings and is ready to walk away and quit. But at the last minute, you know, gets called to action fights valiantly and at the very end of the movie decides he thinks he wants to become an instructor at Top Gun Flight School. So coming full circle and, and deciding at the end to make an, a larger impact on his environment and use his skills for good. Uh, yeah, I think Maverick certainly represents a coffee bean. Top Gun 2 coming out this summer, I believe, is the plan. So hopefully. Exciting. I, I 
love that choice. Matter of fact, I'm I'm changing my choice. I'm but I'm going back and editing my we're going to eighties. My coffee name is Fletch. Oh yes! Oh, absolutely! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fletch is one of my favorites. All right, there you go, Damon. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Damon. Yeah, I we mean, appreciate it. You have been so influential uh, at our school for sure. Uh, you know, with the coffee being for kids, I know we touched on a little bit, and and Eric and I, uh, you know, are both familiar with that. Um, and, and that activity that we just did with the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean is actually one that we've done with our staff at school when, when we share the coffee bean. We have each group come up with their carrot, egg, and coffee bean. So, you know, we appreciate you taking the time from Baton Rouge today and keep doing what you're doing. We look forward to your work with Mr. Coffee Bean and with Coffee Bean Cares. Thank you, Damon. Man, I, you know, guys, I appreciate that. I mean, just I mean, on a personal note to know that that message has impacted other people like it has. And you're listening in your schools with your teachers to be a coffee bean message and you have you know, activities set up around you know, the care of the and the coffee bean. And that's huge. You talk about wanting to have a positive impact in the world to be a servant leader and be useful again. And, and I just want to thank you all for for picking up that message and running with it. And, and I just, I'm going away to be a conduit of that every single day. And I'm, gra- I'm grateful for y'all too, man. So thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Take care, Damon. That's the fact check. All right. It is time for our fact check. Miss Carrie, what do you got for us today? I actually have kind of two. So I went ahead and I looked up hoping to find the third moral for a Bronx tale. And I actually found out there's 13 lessons minimum. And oddly enough, they're not all appropriate for an <laughs> educational program. So I'm going to just say, maybe look that up. Oh, it is a mobster movie. Yeah, after all, I think Don't it? Rat on Nobody was one of them, but I don't think that's what Damon was alluding to. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, we're going to stay away from that one. All right. And then because it seemed like a very important message that Damon was giving, he talked about representation and his initiative to basically help at least five gentlemen with the help of Louisiana State University, um, I wanted to talk about what representation actually means. So I looked it up. Representation helps strengthen communities and improve student outcomes in elementary, middle, and high schools. Representation means that teachers, principals, and other leaders reflect the demographic of the student body in the school that they serve. In addition, I have representation matters in student outcomes reporting that black students are 13% more likely to enter college if they had at least one black teacher by the third grade. Wow. Yeah. Outstanding. And uh, I did want to add something to the fact check. I know we alluded to the Coffee Bean for Kids uh, book, uh, but for the sake of time, we didn't get too far into it. But that that story, it was interesting because uh, I first became aware of Damon. I had read his book, The Change Agent, and I had read uh, The Coffee Bean and shared that with our staff. And we had a student at Cottonwood Elementary, where I was principal at the time, named Gavin. And Gavin was a fourth grader, and he was going through some difficult times at home. Uh, you know, his parents were divorced, and, and it was a rough situation. So I shared the Coffee Bean story with Gavin. And you know, he said, well, I think I could be a coffee bean. And I said, you know what, you know, whatever's going on at home, you know, hopefully, you know, then we'll work through that. But at school, you can be who you're going to be. So I told him the coffee bean story. I gave him a little coffee bean and a little jewelry case to keep in his pocket just as a little reminder. Good kid. I had known him since he was in kindergarten. So didn't think anything more of it. But a few weeks later, one of our special education teachers came up to me and said, you know, Mr. Mauger, do you know a student named Gavin? I'm there. Yeah, I know Gavin. What's going on? And she said, well, I don't know if you know this, but the Kona ice truck is here every week. And for the past couple of weeks, Gavin has been using his Kona ice money to buy 
snow cones for the kids in the mod severe special education class. So he was being a coffee bean. So, you know, I thought that was a great story. So I just went on Twitter and sent a message to Damon. I, and I, I didn't know Damon. I knew he had written the book and obviously we're familiar with John Gordon. So I just sent him a message on Twitter saying, Hey, you know what, Damon, your work's having an impact here at school. There's a student named Gavin. Well, within hours I got a response and Damon said, this is an incredible story. Uh, can I, can I come out and meet him? So yeah. So uh, I, yes, yeah, sure. absolutely. So, so I talked to Damon and we set up a time for him to come out to Cottonwood and he did a couple assemblies for our students. He met Gavin. We got some pictures. He did a, uh, you know, a workshop with our teachers after school that day. And it was just a really positive experience for everybody. Damon, um, Gavin was thrilled, you know, to meet him. And then the coffee bean for kids comes out mm. and the main character in the coffee bean for kids is named Gavin. And there's one curious. Scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and he, obviously he talked to the parents and, and all right. of that. It was yeah. all worked out. Um, but the main, the main character's name is Gavin. And there's a scene in the book Coffee Bean for Kids where Gavin in the story is buying snow cones for, for special needs kids. So awesome. that, that was really cool. So our, our district and our schools and the schools and district obviously aren't mentioned, but using Gavin as the character's name was pretty cool. Very I'm just cool. shaking my head because that's just an amazing story. And I have one for you, but we might want to delete it. But we had coffee beans given to us in a little glass jar. We did. And, and I shared the story with a student he took the coffee beans, and later that day when I went to go see him, he had been um, eating them, and so he had none left. <laughs> so we might want to cut that story. So he, had, he took the idea of being a coffee bean yeah, literally. Be a coffee <laughs> Maybe bean. if I ingest the coffee beans, I will yes. become a coffee there you bean. Go. A ton of joy flowing through his veins. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Carrie. That wraps up our fact check, I think. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to the Alone With Our Principles podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more content, including videos and contests, or if you have questions or suggestions for us, you can follow us on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Eric, and on behalf of Chris and Carrie, we hope you'll remember the words of the great philosopher Ferris Bueller, who once said, Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. You're still here? It's over. Go home. <laughs>